0: raising joyful children in an angry world a podcast dedicated to faithful parents navigating their families through a stormy culture so welcome back to raising joyful children in an angry world i'm your host paul osborne i want to open up with a story that happened to me on sunday we had been camping with some families from our church a camping group on the frio river in texas for about four days made the drive home on Sunday, then went down to Houston to our granddaughter's birthday party and got home pretty tired on Sunday evening. My wife turns on the television. It's about 7.30 and she says, hey, why is there a child and a dog walking up our driveway coming to our door? Do you know him? I say, no, I don't. And so our dog starts barking and we go to the front door and we decide to go outside so we can hear this child. And he has a bag of dog food under his arm. And he says, hey, would y'all be able to watch my dog for a couple of days? And we're like, are you, I'm like, are you going on a trip or, or is there something you're going on a vacation? And he said, no, sir. No, I just don't want anything to happen to dogs. I love dogs and I'm afraid something's going to happen to him. I start to realize that maybe his mom won't let him have the dog. And the dog doesn't look real good. And I'm like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, the tears start coming out. And he's so upset about something happening to his dog. Now, it ends up that he found that dog that afternoon down at the park down the street. And fortunately, in the midst of our conversation, his mother calls and says, hey, you got to come home. And so I say, Hey, yeah, you got to go listen to your mom. But we, maybe we can talk about this another day. And he says, okay, that's all right, sir. Thanks for hearing me. And he walks away. He's about eight or nine years old. I say this story because it demonstrates the softness, the tenderness, the malleableness of a child's heart and of their soul. And Jesus offers the most important words, I think, regarding children in the scripture, perhaps of this condition of children. In Matthew 19, verse 14, he says, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is their inheritance. This is to me is one of the most important and most significant verses regarding children in the Scripture. The Gospel of John takes it, explains it a little bit more in that he says, To those that receive him, to those that believe in his name, He gave the right, or sometimes translated the power, to become the children of God. So here's the invite. Let the children come to me. That's what we must receive. Our responsibility is just not to hinder them. And then the promise for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. That's what we must trust. And that's becoming a child of God. And in all of this is an incredible offer of identity. This, in my view, is the triangle of joy, and it hangs on the word identity. In other words, who am I? What do I believe, and where do I belong? And in this one verse, these three questions are answered. You are a child of God. You belong to the kingdom of heaven, and what you must believe is to trust the promise that I, as the king, have offered you. Now, one of the reasons I get into the significance of this is because the world understands the power of identity. And the culture that you're living in, the world that you're living in, is out to confuse it and fight over it, and it's quite a battle that we're seeing in the issues of identity. In an inheritance, when a poor person dies... No one goes out and hires a bunch of attorneys and starts a legal battle over tea tiles and trinkets. But when a rich person dies, when a billionaire dies, you can believe everybody's coming to hear the will read with an attorney. Start with James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits. If you're not familiar, Atomic Habits has been a best-selling behavior book for as long as it's been around. It continues to hit the top seller year after year. Clear is like Ben Franklin, a modern Ben Franklin. But he talks about either forming a new habit or breaking a bad one. He says he divides it into outcome, process, and identity. What is the desired outcome? What process will it take to achieve the goal? And what kind of person do I become? Clear believes that while all three are important, identity is most important and comes first because identity drives the process that leads to the outcome. Let me give you a couple of political examples. Bart Swain interviewed George Will recently in the Wall Street Journal. They were talking about culture, and they got around the conversation of George Will's book, 1984 book, Statecraft as Soulcraft. And Will justifies his beliefs that the state should be teaching these conservative values to children. And he claims, hey, look, America has decided that human identity is fiction, that consciousness is a collection of images and ideas projected onto the blank pages of the soul. And progressivism has taken his recommendation and run with it. All journalists and political people tend to say, yeah, you should have listened to me. But he makes a very significant point regarding the value of identity, and we see it everywhere. On the other side of the political aisle, let me go to another Wall Street Journal interview with a writer named Keenan Malik, who's a Brit, wrote a book called Not So Black and White, and he is interviewed, and I'm probably going to mispronounce the name by Tunku Varadijan. and Mr. Malik's a He's a universalist. He wants everybody to have the same thing. He's a move all boundaries down. But he makes an interesting point. He says, in the United States, it has given way to racial high priests and hucksters who have imposed an identitarian catechism on everyone, even on old school lefties like Bernie Sanders. Identitarianism. Wow. He's even turned it into some sort of religion. But what his book is essentially about is the shift from the opportunity for all and civil rights for all that has been taken over by racial identity. Now, I'm not here to defend Mr. Malik or George Will, but you can see that the world understands the value of identity. Now, the problem with identity in the kingdom of God is that it comes with a king. It has the king's culture, the king's music, his sacred space, and most importantly, it comes with the worldview and the definitions of truth from the king. It's easy to see in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is taking your children not to Disney World, but to Gettysburg and the Smithsonian and the Grand Canyon. This is a a meaty kind of coming into the kingdom. Now, the society that we live in has numerous kings who prefer their will be done, and American culture has assigned crowns of authority to all sorts of forces within the world, whether they be political, or celebrities, or athletes, or wealthy folks, or just voices of influence. These folks offer citizenship in their kingdom. They have their own banners, their flags, they have their own slogans and creeds. And they are teaching children to say, I identify as fill in the blank. The world is built to try and capture identity. And this is what is is being fought over in so many venues from school districts to libraries, to the entertainment world, curriculum, even within the church. And so I wanna say that parents must first recognize Augustine's claimed the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man are in conflict. Our kingdom offers bountiful joy. Their kingdom offers vanity and temporal happiness and eternal misery. There are clear definitions and borders now that are really no longer blurred. Now we share the world stage with these folks, but it's coming down to which kingdom are we in and making sure that our children, through various means, understand that our family identifies as Christian. Many in our faith have lost what I call the good wine to what I would describe as a cheap spiritual substitute that's more concerned with being relevant and relatable than it is worried about becoming indistinguishable. And every generation has to go back and recover the good things, the things that have been handed down for the centuries, and things that have been handed down even in previous generations or even created in this one. There's an old children's song that says, I am a C, I'm a C H R I S T I A N. And I think learning those kinds of songs, taking the time to have prayer in the home, wearing a cross, making the sign of the cross on the forehead, the laying on of hands, all the things that God uses in his soul craft must be taken and must be looked at with some sort of intentionality. But I also think it's important to understand that we don't have to necessarily become theologians. We're not going to become PhDs. So there are simple ways in which I think the family can help deliver Christian identity in the day-to-day life. Let me give you two examples. My grandson's at a t-ball game. He's out in the outfield. Ball gets hit. He runs after it, he trips over the ball, the ball gets into some other kid's hand, he makes the throw in, and my grandson's upset because he wanted to throw the ball. He doesn't get condemned, or he doesn't get get coddled, but he's sent back in the game saying, try again, because God is a God of abundance. And so we're teaching him to trust God, rather than demanding he get his turn right now, but to trust God and let God get you another turn. And he got another turn. In another sport, my granddaughter had been playing in a five-year-old soccer league, and lots of people score a lot of goals in those kinds of leagues. She had gone a number of games and hadn't scored and was feeling sad about it. Her countenance on her face just really showed that she was getting frustrated. So we said a prayer for her on the sideline. God answered the prayer. And so we were able, after the game, to say, hey, congratulations. And by the way, We prayed that God would help you score a goal today, and look what happened. He did. It's about delivering providence and the power of prayer. So let me close with a story that's a little more personal. This comes from a recording I had with my youngest daughter, who's now in her 30s with her own family. But this is a story that demonstrates the power of identity and also my lack of knowledge regarding it at that time.
1: The story is Sing or Shoot. Growing up, I had an interest in music. I've always enjoyed singing. I've always been a part of a choir or some sort of musical activity. In kindergarten, I was Goldilocks. Music was always a part of my my world. But then as a family and as the youngest daughter of two older sisters, basketball was also something that we all did collectively together. We all played together regularly on the weekends after school. It was always my two sisters versus me and my dad. And basketball also was something that was a huge part of who I was. What I did, I went to basketball camps. I went to choir camp. I played on basketball teams. I competed in choir. And so this story specifically is about my ninth grade year. I'm choosing my classes for my sophomore year. And at the school I attended, Basketball is a period and choir is its own period. And both of these periods the next year are offered for first period alone. And I have to make a decision if I'm going to choose basketball or choir. I'm pretty torn up about it. I'm not sure what I want to do. Both feel like a decision I don't want to have to make. And so at some point, my dad decides he's going to make the decision for me. And he says, Michelle, you're five two. Basketball's not really going anywhere. You're going to be in choir. And as a fifteen-year-old, I am absolutely devastated by this.
0: Well, we laugh at this now. I think this story reminded me of how little I knew, and demonstrates to you that I don't have a how-to book. But I do want to say that the things that we do as a family, the practices, the traditions, the time that we spend in certain activities, obviously plays a role in identity while no one comes into the kingdom, even our children, without the fervent call of God and the, and the Holy Spirit bringing that new life into their heart, our activities, the traditions of our faith and how they're instilled into our family absolutely play a role in the Christian identity and the kingdom identity of our kids. The ultimate battle for the heart and soul is a fight for identity, our King invites our kids to know who they are, what to believe, and where they belong. Until next time, let's remember the words, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.